Season 3, Chapter 4, Together. To whom much is given, much shall be required. Luke 12.48 Together. It's on the house, Dr. Karen. Your money is no good here. Are you sure? I expect to pay for what I ordered. Dr. Karen poked her head into the takeout window. She was trying to find the owner of the voice. Oh, hey there, Sandy. Really, I'm happy to pay. Positive. You have a great day now. Sandy owned the ice cream shop and the mane of thick gray hair that sat on her head like crooked kale. She was genuinely pleased to see the doctor and winked playfully while handing her an oversized dish of ice cream, adding, there's an extra scoop in there for you, too. All of this after Sheriff Randall had just finished paying for his treat. Patient of yours, he asked, while his friend returned her wallet to her backpack. I'm not at liberty to say, Nathan, but you're the one who deserves a free ice cream. And then she elbowed him in the arm, serves you right for not being in uniform, I'm sure if she knew you were the sheriff, she would have treated you, too. Oh, she knows, Nathan answered back flatly. Amelia's heart sank. Nathan was the glue that held this town together, the guardian of everything. Like the steadfast tin soldier, he navigated the sewers alone. Yet, he couldn't even score a free ice cream. They made their way over to some brightly painted picnic tables, picked the one covered with the fewest number of duck droppings, and sat down in the shade. Still not sleeping, I take it? Amelia asked. How could she know that? Nathan thought. The sheriff felt awkward in his street clothes, and his words were awkward. Oh, you know me, is all he said back to her. The lakeside dairy bar sat under a crop of trees along the cove of the big lake downtown. School had started again, and the tourist population was thinning. The two friends watched the ducks and the sun-baked lily pads float along the shoreline. Looks like a Monet painting, doesn't it? Amelia commented, adding, It's beautiful, but it gives me a case of the melancholies. Do you like fall? Yep. It's nice here, Nathan answered, remembering something about the painter and his poor eyesight, and Fay. So, how's the new employee working out? Oh, now there's a topic. The nicest thing I can say is that she's struggling. I mean, she tries, but she doesn't even own a cell phone, so that should tell you how skilled she is with technology. We old-school everything. But on the bright side... My penmanship has improved dramatically. The sheriff chuckled. Any word on when Ed is coming back to work? Whenever he's ready, he's in Baltimore with his sister. Nathan grinned suspiciously. Uh Uh-oh, somebody knows a secret. Come on, spill the beans, Nate. Dr. Karen jammed her red plastic spoon into the side of her oversized sundae and leaned forward. She was very interested in hearing about Ed. I had a call out on his road night before last. I drove right by his place, and it was lit up like a Christmas tree. Amelia said nothing, while she wondered if Nathan might say the same about her house. Since meeting Abram, she hated dark corners. Nathan continued, I'm thinking of going up there today. Want to come? I'm keen to put eyes on him, to make sure he's doing okay. 
Oh, I don't know. I told him to take his time. I wouldn't want him to feel like I was pushing him to come back to work before he was ready. So perhaps I should pass. But I'm glad to know that he's back. Yep. Well, word on the street is that he's been home all summer. It's hard to hide in this town. Wow, that is so strange. Hmm. Still, as much as I'd like to see him, I just don't know if it would be appropriate for me to show up on his doorstep and intrude on his personal life. Nathan cut in. I'll go, and then I'll let you know how he is. How's that sound? That sounds very good. Thank you. Amelia was picturing Ed alone in his house all summer. He was severely depressed when she last saw him. A part of her wanted to go with Nathan. Nathan finished his ice cream. The doc hadn't asked him for any updates on their ward, and he was glad of that. He had told her that he would manage the situation, but he never said how, and he hoped to keep it that way. And then... So, you look terrible. Clearly, you're not sleeping, and you haven't said one word about the topic I want to hear most about. Did you really think I'd just eat ice cream and then skip on home? I've been waiting to discuss things, Nathan. And we're going to start with you and how you're doing. Her colleague looked away. He was hoping the right words would wash up on the lakeshore, but they didn't, of course, and so he watched a kayaker paddle by, reflexively checking to make sure he could see a life jacket. As a protector, he had no language for, help me. It was a long time before anyone spoke. Take your time. It's just me you're talking to, Nate. Amelia could feel him struggle, and so she added, Hey, wait a minute, while snapping her fingers in a faked eureka moment. I just remembered that I'm an actual doctor. Maybe I could be of some assistance. Nathan appreciated the humor. He brought his eyes back to the picnic table and then to her. Okay, Doc, I might need something for sleep. Can you do anything about that? He never asked for anything, ever. He was vulnerable now, exposed, and she was responsible for that. Amelia knew better than to leave him like this for long. Tell you what, you cut your caffeine intake in half, and I'll write you a short-term script for a sleep aid. How's that sound? That sounds very good. Thank you, he responded, stealing her words. Dr. Karen never took her eyes off of the sheriff. Let's check back in a few weeks, see how sleep is going. We can talk more then, all right? Yup, he answered back, giving no indication of whether that would or would not happen. Okay, moving on. Now I want to know what's going on with Abram White and why you've decided that you're going to bear this burden alone. Dr. Karen was not to be trifled with, and Nathan felt the immediate lift that her strength provided. It felt like a bolt of lightning. Ed sat on his back deck, overlooking the gigantic lake. His boat remained tethered to the dock, still covered. He hadn't used it once this year, but he was too tired to care about selling it. Maybe he'd just let it sink. His yard was a mess. The stone patio below had become a collection area for discarded flower pots, cardboard boxes, and lawn furniture. 
the strange gloominess of the scene was punctuated by a large, custom-forged, great blue heron that Marilyn had commissioned for Ed on his birthday. It was lying face down, its beak embedded in the grass. Ed heard the ice in his highball glass drop down under the heat of the day. He took a sip of bourbon and closed his eyes. He could hear Samantha and her friends in the yard. They were squealing with laughter and chasing each other with squirt guns. He could hear lunch sizzling on the grill and Marilyn calling out, Oh, good shot, Sammy! These ghosts appeared throughout the house, and they traveled with Ed back in time while he dissected what he might have done to lose it all. Maybe Sammy hated him because he wouldn't let her take the boat out alone, not because he worried about her safety, but because she was careless and might scratch the hull. He had been selfish. Maybe if he had just let her take the boat out, things would have been different. He was trying on everything for size, and still he was stumped. How do you raise a child who cannot love you back? When did the typical teenage nastiness morph into perpetual hate, such hate, toward Marilyn mostly, because he traveled for work. What if he had been home more? Would he have noticed Marilyn's failing health as something more serious than just a broken heart? Perhaps this was his punishment for deciding to go golfing while his wife sobbed alone in the shower. Unable to fix his life, he had chosen not to watch, and now that's all he did. His glass was empty. Nathan's little red truck looked strangely out of place against the wealth of this side of town. It sputtered along Lake Shore Drive, up toward Ed's place. The dock knew everything now. She knew about Faye and Abram's resting spot, where rest would not be possible. He kept his descriptions brief and factual, but he did not hold back. He expected a lecture on the Hippocratic Oath and how Abram's suffering was not something she could condone. He expected to debate her on why he was not administering the sedative. Instead, she asked questions about him and how he was coping, and that surprised him. Any kindness toward him was always a surprise. In the end, he was scolded only once. "'You don't need to protect me, Nathan. I can handle the truth.' None of us knows what we're doing, or even what we're dealing with. But if we don't stick together, we're not going to get through this. He had wanted to interrupt her to say that he knew exactly what they were dealing with, and that they were never going to get through this. Instead, he let her talk. He liked it when she did the talking. Her face had melted chocolate on it while she admonished him. He remembered wanting to wipe it off for her, but instead... He chose to point it out after she finished her lecture. Hey, Doc, there's a brown smear on your lip. Oh, excellent. That had you distracted the whole time, didn't it? Did you even hear a word I said? And they both laughed longer and harder than what was warranted. They laughed until they cried, and then Amelia snorted, which kicked off another round of laughing. They were nervous and overtired, and the laughing was a relief, like screaming. The sheriff turned onto Ed D'Angelo's property. The driveway was long, 
and it curved up slightly around an artful planting of evergreens before exposing the home's grand entrance. The whole structure was enormous, with multiple roof lines and acres of glass. Nathan stopped in front of the garage doors and killed the engine. The old truck coughed twice before finally cutting out. He stepped back from the house and looked around. He could picture his entire cabin easily fitting into the garage. This place is huge, he thought. Nathan had heard that Ed was doing okay for himself, but he never imagined this. The closest thing to a description of Ed's wealth came from Amelia when she had responded to Nate's concerns about Ed being out of work for so long. The sheriff had suggested taking up a collection to help Ed. He doesn't need the money, was all she had decided to share. Nathan scanned the front of the property. Goldenrod had taken over the front yard. Nothing had been tended to. Maybe he had this all wrong. Maybe Ed really was in Baltimore. He moved up toward the glass and stone of the front entrance and looked inside. It was dark, and he could see large pieces of furniture covered in sheets. The hair on Nathan's neck prickled. It was entirely possible that Ed had nothing to do with the lights he'd seen on the other night. The sheriff had plenty of experience with these situations. A neighbor would call 911, concerned that cars were coming and going from a property that should have been closed because the owners were away. It was always sickening to see what remained of a beautiful camp after weeks of hardcore partying and drug use had moved in. Often, there would be children present, dirty, neglected, and confused by the commotion, but happy that Mommy was finally awake. In all his years as a lawman, calls involving children were the hardest. Nathan glided backwards, away from the entrance. He had chosen to leave his handgun at home while he met with Dr. Karen, something he had never done before, and now he regretted it. If squatters were inside, he was going to need protection. So much for a day off, he thought. Quietly, he opened his truck door and grabbed the only thing he had, a tire iron. Nathan moved along the right side of the garage toward the back. The property was heavily forested, with no visible neighbors, just the kind of place that invited trouble. At the edge of the garage, he looked right before following the building around to the left, toward the lake. There before him was a multi-layered deck and stone patio. The expanse led out to a floating dock and covered boathouse. All of it was over-designed and very fancy and empty. He listened, and he looked, and he wondered, why would Ed leave his boat more to the dock all summer if he was away? The wooden vessel heaved up and down with the big waves and the autumn winds. The sheriff recognized it as a criss-craft, not something to be left unattended. Nathan passed several more windows and looked inside. The house was still. He approached the deck and was halfway up the stairs when he heard a voice say, Do sheriffs always do this when visiting, or do they sometimes just knock on the door? Nathan's shoulders dropped in relief, and he shook his head. So, you are home. I saw your lights on the other night, and it looked suspicious. I came to check things out. 
Why don't you come on up before you set off any more alarms? Ed D'Angelo was very thin, and he had a beard, but his voice was the same. I'm not sure who looks worse, you or me. That prize goes to you, Ed. I don't think I'd recognize you on the street, the sheriff answered back. At the top of the deck stairs, he dropped the tire iron, and he shook Ed's hand. I'm not even going to bother asking how you've been. I can see the answer. Ed had not considered his appearance until now, but he didn't care. He followed the sheriff's gaze out across the sweep of land and water. Funny how none of this means anything anymore, Ed said. His voice was sad and rusty. There was a time when I thought that winning was living, and I wanted to show the world that I was a winner. But I had it wrong. There's no way to win at life. And now I just pay taxes and wait to die. A collection of leaves blew across the deck. You've been here alone all summer, Ed? Ed could feel the worry in Nathan's question, and it embarrassed him slightly. He changed his tone. If you follow me inside, I'll show you what I've been up to. The darkness could hear his screams. They traveled up in rhythmic waves, up from nearly 80 feet of water, and then across the valley and into the forest. And they never stopped. They were desperate and mournful, yet they evoked no pity. This is what happens when you squander what has been given to you. This is where you belong. For now. Together. Written and performed by Bridget Emmons. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Main Stories and visit my website at BridgetEmmons.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>